Indie Votes is a nonpartisan campaign of the Center for Social Concerns, the Rooney Center for American Democracy, and the Constitutional Studies minor at the University of Notre Dame that promotes voter education, registration, and mobilization. Indie Votes fosters conscientious engagement in political and civic life among students. In partnership with Indie Student Media, Indie Votes would like to introduce a new podcast, Pizza Pod and Politics, a virtual initiative in place of our signature event, Pizza Pop and Politics, during the time of COVID-19. Our goal is to educate students about the voting process, different political issues from a nonpartisan lens, and mobilize students to turn out to vote. Hi everyone, it's Rachel Subnani, one of Indie Votes co-chairs for the 2020-2021 school year. I'm a senior here at the University of Notre Dame, majoring in science pre-professional studies with minors in constitutional studies and science technology and values. And I'm Michael Morota. I'm also a senior and a fellow co-chair of Indie Votes. I'm studying political science with a minor in the Hesburgh Program of Public Service. It is our great honor and privilege today to welcome our most legendary guest to date, Hall of Fame Notre Dame women's basketball coach, Muffet McGraw. Coach McGraw served as the head women's basketball coach here at Notre Dame from 1987 to 2020, compiling an 848 to 242 record and leading her team to 26 NCAA appearances with nine Final Fours, seven championship game appearances, and two national championships. She has been inducted into the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame and the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame, and she is one of eight head coaches of Division I basketball to reach 800 career wins. Coach McGraw announced her retirement in April of this year and plans to switch her focus to fighting for women's equality and getting more involved in the community. We as ND Votes have had the incredible opportunity to work with Coach McGraw this summer and fall semester in registering Notre Dame student-athletes to vote. Today, we welcome Coach McGraw to Pizza Pod and Politics for our fourth episode on the intersection of sports and politics. Welcome, Coach. Well, thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I really enjoyed the work that we did all year long and so proud of the fact that we registered 762 athletes out of just about 780. So we got almost every single one of them. That's incredible. Absolutely awesome. Our first question for you is, why did you decide to reach out to ND Votes this summer? And like, why was voter registration especially important for the student-athlete population? You know, I think it's so important that everybody exercises their right to vote and sees it as something that is so important, and especially given the state of the world right now and where we are politically in this country, we're so divided. And I thought it was important that we work together to try to get people to get out, especially in Indiana, which is just one of the worst states in the country in terms of people voting. I think we usually rank about 45 or 46 in the country. So I wanted to be active and, and do a little bit more in the community to get involved. Uh, I called some of the offices downtown. I got to work at the poll, and uh, that, was, that was exciting. But I just think for athletes, they have a platform. They have a voice. Um, people listen to them, especially you look at what happened in the WNBA and the NBA this summer. They, they wore shirts. They always talked about social justice. I mean, it was a big platform for them and really got the word out to a lot of people. So I, I think the college students really are kind of taking their lead from them and trying to do as much as they can, both on campus and on social media. Absolutely, especially to uh, it, when it comes to these like student initiatives, uh, the student athletes are kind of overlooked and taken for granted. They kind of get left out because of how busy they are. So you're reaching out to us really made a huge impact, and we, we are really grateful for that. And uh, you mentioned working at the polls during the election, and that kind of brings us to our next question. We wanted to ask you about that experience. Uh, what was the experience like? What was your biggest takeaway? Any uh, impactful memories? Well, first, I didn't realize I was going to be working all day. 
<laughs> I got there at 5 a.m. and got home at 7 p.m. And there were there were no shifts. We were all in the same boat the entire day. I, I really thought it was important. I, I know that they were looking for volunteers, and I wanted to make sure that we were able to really staff each polling place. We really wanted to have one on campus here. We tried to get the Joyce Center. We tried to get the hockey arena. They said they didn't need it and that we, you know, we would be fine. And I think we were. We had lines um, initially close to three hours for waiting, got it down. And by the end of the day, of course, it was moving pretty well. But I, I was fascinated by the number of people that came in and said, this is the first time I'm voting. Uh, we had a number of, you know, 18 year olds that came in and, you know, we're trying to take pictures of them as they were casting a ballot just to, uh, me- you know, remember this important event in your life. And hopefully uh, they enjoyed it enough to continue to come back. But I had one guy who was 59, and he said, this is the first election I've ever voted in. Uh, I had another older couple in their 60s, same thing. Uh, this is the first time we voted. So I thought this election really, you know, we needed to get the vote out, and I thought we did a great job of doing it. That's incredible. Yeah, we felt a similar exciting energy here on campus on Election Day. We were passing out I Voted stickers to all of our students who by majority vote absentee, so we don't get those fun stickers um, when we go to the polls. But um, it was a really, really exciting energy all throughout the day. Everyone was excited to get an I Voted sticker. And for all of us, it's our first presidential election, except for a select few that we're voting in. So it is a really important time. And it's really critical to establish these habits early on in young people's lives. Um, yeah, it really is. And, you know, they love getting the stickers. We, we didn't have any at our polling place. So um, but it's it's great to see the work that you did to get people to understand how the absentee ballot works. It really is a, a much easier process than I would have thought. But having your knowledge having you come out and meet with every one of the teams, all the work you did on campus. Uh, I think you guys should be so proud of everything you've done to really elevate the just the the knowledge and, and what you did to get everybody aware of how important it is. Uh, I thought, fantastic job by the Endy Votes. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much. It's, it's incredible to hear those stories, too, of people voting for the first time, whether it be 18 or in their 60s, because uh, that's what they say. They say voting is a habit. It's something that once you start doing, you keep doing. So uh, making those inroads, uh, whether new or old, is is absolutely essential. Yeah, and so important, not just in the presidential. You know, we have to look at the elections in between. We have to really focus on what's happening in our community. Who, who's running for mayor? Uh, what about the sheriff? All, all of these, these kind of local politics, that's where the problems start to lie right now with all we're seeing with the police departments and Black Lives Matter and you really need to be paying more attention to what's happening in your local community, not just at the top of the ticket. Absolutely. So what would you tell someone of any age who maybe has never voted or they think their vote might not count and why it's important to get involved in their local community? And you look at how close some of these elections were and you realize that, wow, my vote really does matter if I can get people out we can win. I know there was an election locally uh, two years ago, and I think it was won by single digits. You know, I mean, it was just a really tight race. It's so important that you come out and use your vote. And, and hopefully, you know, I'm a big fan of getting rid of the Electoral College. And, and then your vote really would matter a little bit more in terms of the popular vote. Well, thank you for that, Coach. And uh, that kind of wraps up the questions we had for as far as voting and your experience with voting. Uh, so kind of moving on to uh, the crux of what we we are titling this episode, The Intersection Between Politics and Sport. Um, So just starting off, basically, uh, what ways do you see 
in the intersection between politics and sports? Where are there opportunities to make inroads with the community? What is what is that platform like? You know, I think it's so important that, first of all, you look at the professional athletes. You look at somebody like LeBron James and what has he done for the city of Cleveland. Uh, kids are getting a free education at Kent State, a certain number of them that come out of schools that he has really funded. I think he paid to have like 10,000 poll workers across the country. I mean, he is so active. And it, and it bothers me when I hear people say, shut up and dribble, uh, you know, stay in your lane. This is not for you. But really, when you think about the number of people that look up to them, we want them to be role models. We want them to really encourage all of their fans and all the younger people in their communities and see how important it is. And so maybe when LeBron James says it or a professional athlete says it, maybe that resonates a little bit better than a politician or, or a volunteer saying you, you have to get out and vote. Now you feel like you're doing it for somebody else. And that that's so important. It's kind of like wearing a mask. You know, we're doing it to protect each other. And now you have to get out there. And if we want our voice to be heard, man, we've, we've got to get to the polls. Yeah, I love that example of LeBron James. He is, he's just such, I think he's a, he's a, he's got to be considered a hero in his community. You know, from starting the school and getting the kids the free education at Kent State, he even paid off uh, the fines for like uh, several thousands of uh, f- uh, former felons in Florida who, when they passed that law in Florida saying mm-hmm. if you had any overdue court fees, you couldn't vote, essentially creating a poll tax. And LeBron's, I think the more than a vote organization paid off those fines. They had those thousands of poll workers, like you said. Uh, it's just absolutely incredible the kind of platforms and the way that people look up to these athletes, what they can do with these platforms. So you're you're right on the money. Uh, shut up and dribble should not apply. I mean, they're citizens with active voices, active in their communities. If anything, you know, we should be listening to their opinions, sharing and learning from their experience. And certainly what Colin Kaepernick did, you know, a couple of years ago and, and everybody... Just really, you know, it didn't go anywhere. And now they look back and go, oh, you know, maybe he was right. Maybe we should have had this conversation three years ago. So now to, to see the other athletes stepping up and supporting him across sports. I mean, it was every single sport from NASCAR, Major League Baseball, you know, obviously football and basketball. But but everybody did something just to let people know that like we're all in. And if the fans don't want to get on board, then we'll get other fans. I, I know that that was a big issue across some of the platforms where people say, oh, you know, I'm not going to watch anymore because I don't want to see anything about politics. I just want to see something about sports to take my mind off things. But there, there definitely is that intersection. I mean, I, I don't think that you can put things in a box. I think you have to really understand that we're not talking about politics right now. We're talking about racism and some serious issues that we have in this country and how are we ever going to get better? Sports is the perfect place to see that you're playing on teams with all these diverse people, different religions, different backgrounds. Uh, you, you know, you see so many different kinds of people and you have to figure out how to get along and play as a team. And that is what we're trying to do in society, that that sports is like a microcosm of what's happening in society. So if we can do it here, I think we can do it in other places. That's a great analogy. <laughs> I hope we can all work together as a team someday. Um, Our next question was about your platform as Notre Dame's women's basketball coach. How did you see that in regard to advocating for equality and engaging politically? And has this changed since your retirement? Well, I've always been a proponent of women and trying to hire more women and promote more women and build confidence in women, empowering them. That, That was kind of my goal as a coach, to really get them to use their voice. And I'm proud of what the girls in the WNBA have done 
and they've really used their voice, used their platform, been seen as role models and embraced that. And that was really important to me. I think there's a lot of parallels between what the country's going through and what women have fought against for so many years. You know, we fought for 100 years to get the right to vote. We still don't have an ERA passed. Uh, There's so many things that are holding us back. I couldn't be happier to see a female vice president. Uh, We just saw a female GM in Major League Baseball, first time ever. We're still seeing a series of firsts, which is my big frustration. You know, I'm anxious to get to the point where it's normal. And maybe it will be. Uh, I think your generation certainly is going to help in that way. But I, I really saw my job as a coach is really to promote women and to let our women know that there was a, a place for them to use their voice and they they had to be willing to do it. I think leadership is a little bit about courage. You know, you have to speak up sometimes when what you say may not be popular uh, with certain people, but you still have to be willing to do it because you have to do what's right. And there's always the right time to do what's right. Touching on one thing you said, talking about how it's sadly it's still new to see women promoted to these these positions and harder to get women to promote it and advocating for themselves and you wanting to be that change. Was there a moment in your career, whether it be your playing career or your coaching career, where those opportunities came up and you had to seize the moment or uh, some impactful moment that really influenced how the rest of your career developed that you could share with us? Well, I think more on the kind of the opposite side. I would sit in meetings for the Big East Conference. Uh, years ago, we were in the Big East and then currently in the ACC. And I would look around the table and I would think, wow, we have a lot of men that are coaching women's basketball. And then the conference president would come in. And of course, that was a man. And then you go to meet with the athletic directors and they were almost entirely men. And so I think I started to kind of have an awareness of where we were heading and why aren't there more women here? Why aren't there more women athletic directors? Why aren't there more women in positions of power? And I think it starts with us being willing to apply for those jobs, but I really think people hire people who look like them. And I think that you have white men as athletic directors hiring white men as coaches. And I think that we have to do a better job of trying to get more diversity and see how things are going. And, you know, I I love what Joe Biden's doing right now. When you look at people he's putting in his uh, places in the administration, And it's a lot of women, and there's, I think, going to be a lot of diversity as well. So that's the way I want the country at the top to look like what we really look like. And I I don't think we have that right now. A lot of things you're saying, too, are coming together. You know, you're talking about the implicit biases, hiring people that look like you, and uh, talking earlier, you mentioned, you know, we can't put anything in a box. Everything affects everything. That's true, because a lot of these leagues, you know, when we talk about the issues that are happening today, whether it be police brutality or racism or things like that, it affects these players' lives. It affects these these people's lives in a real way. So, you know, everything is definitely connected, and we got to, you know, have those conversations, like you're saying. So right I know, and it's there. easy to think because they're athletes, they're treated in a different way, and certainly in some instances they are. They do make a lot of money. They, they do um, get a lot of perks that normal people don't. But you look at their kids growing up and having to have those tough conversations with young men uh, coming out in the African-American community and, and how they are perceived, no, no matter who their, their dad is, they're in the same situation as every kid in America. And that's the kind of thing we need to change. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to touch on the, f- the idea that some athletes may prefer not to get political in fear of it jeopardizing their career or 
alienating fans. Um, in The Last Dance, they talked a little bit about how Michael Jordan was criticized for not using his platform more robustly to advocate for social justice in the past. Should we expect athletes to use their platform in this way? Well, I, I think they're role models, and I think people look up to them, and they certainly have a voice. I, I think that it's like every other person. Everybody has their way. There are some introverts that really don't want to go out. But I, getting back to what I said earlier about leadership is about courage, and I think when you have that position, I think people do expect you to be able to speak up. Uh, I know that when everything went down this summer and there were a lot of coaches across the country weren't tweeting anything about the Black Lives Matter movement, and I think people looked and said, what, why are you not saying anything? And, and a lot of people would just sit back and say, well, I, I don't know what to say. When all you had to say was, oh, I can tweet Black Lives Matter. Like, you can tweet support for something. You're coaching those players that it's really important to, and recruits are looking at you. And yeah, you may lose some fans over it. And I think that probably there's been some negative pushback in some ways that with the pandemic. I'm kind of glad we're not going to have fans because we're not going to see, did we really lose people over this racial injustice and social justice movement and what we're trying to do. But I I think for me, I just feel like I'm going to say what I think. I'm going to be honest and say this is this is the way I think it should be. And you can agree or disagree with me. It doesn't really matter. It's not going to change my point of view. Well, thank you for always having the courage to share your opinions. And I mean, we we know we don't have to tell you, but please keep sharing them, because as you know, you know, you're one of the biggest leaders in this community where you point, we go. (laughs) <laughs> you know, we're rocking with you. We always will. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Kind of touching on some things that you talked about earlier with the NBA and allowing the social justice messages and they're always being on top of it. Uh, how do you think that uh, allowing players to have these these messages on their jerseys and lead these discussions uh, is going to play a growing role? Do you think that there's a next step? Do you think that this is just the beginning? Oh, I hope it is uh, because we have so far to go. And I think that awareness is number one. I think people have to realize that I think social media has really helped that. If we don't see um, George Floyd on camera and the way he was treated, maybe we don't believe it. You know, I, I think that what's happening now is people are catching all these acts on camera. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. They're, they're the ones that people are seeing. You know, th- this is going on across the country. So what, you know, what else can we do to get people to be aware and and to stand up for it and stand against it. I, I think that's the most important thing. I, I think that there's there's problems in every single industry. You know, people in across the country in different businesses, you know, they'll put out a tweet, but they're not going to do anything about the hiring that they're doing at their company. So I think in sports, like, we have more of an opportunity. We're in front of the microphone a lot more than normal people are. And so that's our chance. We're on TV. That's our chance. And I think we have to take advantage of it now. Absolutely. Um, Just a quick example of when your team did just that in December of 2014, wearing the I Can't Breathe shirts during the warm-up, as many professional athletes did, protesting the death of Eric Garner by police. How was this act of civic engagement received, and how can we pave the way for more student-run activism like this? Well, I think it did take a lot of courage for our team to get together and do that. And the one thing that Jack Swarbrick always talks about is uh, you have to to say what you believe in, but it has to be unanimous. You know, we don't we don't want half the team agrees and half the team doesn't. And so it, it was a unanimous choice that we decided to wear the I Can't Breathe t-shirts. We took a lot of negative pushback and, and to the point of death threats for some of the players uh, that were part of the people that initiated it. Uh, it, it, it really got ugly. I, I think the majority, of course, were in favor and in support of it. Um, 
And it, it turned into, as it always does in this country, you know, Black Lives Matter versus Blue Lives Matter, when there should never be that choice. Obviously, every lives, life matters, but it's the black lives that are not being respected right now. And I think if you can't see that, we're, we're not saying your life doesn't matter. We're just saying everyone's really does, but you, you're not looking at it that way. You're only looking at certain people. So I, I think that it happens in pretty much every business around the country, but it's just that that's becoming kind of the focal point right now. Yeah, Touching on that too, uh, when, a lot of times when people counter those kind of statements are with, oh, what about all lives or what about blue lives? It's a way of avoiding the central issue and changing the topic of the discussion and trying to take a side without making a change. Uh, is there, has there been a lot of that or have you seen a lot of that, you know, in, in your profession with sports and now moving on as a teacher or have you had any experience having those conversations with people? Well, I think it, it's really evident when we're looking at the ERA and we're trying to get more rights for women and people are saying like, but you already have rights. You know, it's, you, you already have this amendment in the Constitution. Like, you know, of course you're equal, but they're, but they're not going to come out and vote for the ERA. And, you know, I think that's what people, some people are just ignorant and they don't understand. They don't really see it. And uh, I think that it's something that we, we have to keep fighting for because there's injustice everywhere. And it does affect everyone. And we, we just need to come together and be able to agree that every life is important and none more than any other. And that's, that's frustrating to me when I hear that and suddenly we're trying to pick sides. Um, oh, I'm, I'm on the side of blue. I'm on the side of white. I'm on the side of black. And we're just never going to advance as a country until we can see that. And, and it's going to take a lot. It's going to take a lot of leadership. I think sports is one great place to do it. I think Hollywood is a great place when you see movies and you see how characters are depicted and who is the lead and how, how that is working because that's another place where people see that, like kids see that. Um, you know, and I think coaching-wise, I, I think that's something kids see from a very early age. And then politics, and that's where I think we have the biggest strides to make. Absolutely. And, you know, with, with your years obviously working as a, as a coach and uh, shaping young people's lives. What would, you, what would you say to any college athletes here or anywhere that may hear this? Uh, what is the best way for them to make their voices heard and to utilize their platforms? Well, I think social media is, is a great place to start. And knowing how many followers they have, I think, you know, you've got to build that base. You have an opportunity to be in front of the media and, you know, what you wear and has has some effect on that. People can see that without you having to say a word. Um, and certainly what you say. But I just recently read an article where we had a football recruit who committed to Notre Dame, decided maybe the diversity wasn't what he wanted on campus, uh, chose another school, and then kind of looked back on it and said, you know what? You know what I've noticed? The student athletes at Notre Dame are able to use their voice. Nobody is trying to shut them up when they talk about the problems that we're having. He saw all the things we did on campus with the Unity Walk and different things. And he came back and he said, you know what, I, I am coming to Notre Dame because that's a place where I think people can be open about what they believe in. That's incredible. Um, just closing the door on our politics and sport conversation and getting a little bit more specific about gender equality. Um, I wanted to talk about your press appearance before the 2019 Final Four that has gone viral. Um, in your two-minute answer, you highlighted the failure of the passage of the ERA 
the minority percentages of women in Congress, the disparity between men holding the majority of jobs in women's basketball and men's basketball, and the lack of enough women in power. Did you expect the viral reaction to this? And do you think we've seen any meaningful change since that tournament? I did not expect <laughs> at all. And uh, I was astonished, really. I mean, as early as we went from the press conference into practice and you know, at the end of practice, one of my managers said, oh, Barack Obama just retweeted you. And I was like, holy cow, what's going on? I mean, we were obviously, you know, had no phones with us at practice. So I didn't realize it went. And I think it was something everybody needed to hear that. People were dying for somebody to say something because it cut across everything, not just sports. And, and I think that women have so far to go. But I thought it did resonate with a lot of people. I think you saw the NBA. Adam Silver came out and said, let's look at hiring some women. Let's look at hiring some women officials. Let's look at hiring some female coaches. And I think we had nine or 10 women in the NBA on coaching staffs. Um, you know, I mentioned earlier the GM for Major League Baseball. I think you saw in the World Series, the Giants had somebody, uh, a female on their staff, um, football. You know, it, we're starting to hit every professional sport. It hasn't really come into the men's college sports yet. But I think people are definitely looking and starting to realize that They've done studies that say we're better with women on the board. We're better with women in leadership positions. Our company is doing better and we have to make that change. And we finally got one female on every Fortune 500 company board. And it just last year was the first we finally got one woman. And, you know, one's not enough. Uh, the mask I'm wearing when there when there are nine Ruth Bader Ginsburg talking about the Supreme Court. That's when, when you know, we will see true equality. Um, nobody ever question why have nine men on the supreme court but if you said we're going to have nine women you know people would be taken aback so we got a lot of work to do absolutely and you know before moving on to the next question just another example you know i'm from san antonio and uh becky hammond coach mm -hmm. hammond is one of our pride and joy former silver stars point guard now seem seeming to be the the next head coach whenever coach pop retires so just, she's awesome and we're looking forward to that just Throwing that one out there. Shout out to Becky <laughs> Hammond. She yeah. is blazing a trail for all of us. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, just so moving on, you know, we still, you know, as we're, we're getting more and more women hired and uh, normalizing it for them to be in the positions that they deserve, uh, we still see the pay gap in the, the NBA, WNBA, in, in U.S. women's and men's soccer, uh, the, these massive pay gaps. And, you know, with the NBA, the men like averaging about 7.5 million while women are only being paid like 116,000. Uh, what can be, what can be done about this? Well, that was disappointing to see soccer take it to court and they had everything on their side. First of all, they're better. Uh, they won the championship. They sold more jerseys. Um, you know, their attendance was better in, in every metric. They were better. And this, the court still did not side with them. So that was discouraging, and I think that they're going to continue to make that fight and hopefully make a little bit of headway. But uh, the WNBA and the NBA, you really can't compare them. Uh, the women in the W don't expect anywhere near the salaries that the men in the NBA are making. They just want a little more. They want to be able to live on a salary. The rookies are making $40,000. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice for a summer job, but you can't really live on that year-round. You have to go to Europe. And now your body's going to break down a lot sooner because you're playing 12 months out of the year. There's no breaks. You're going from one to the other. So I think they would like to see just something. And Kathy Engelbert, who's now the new commissioner of the W, she's doing a great job. Uh, and she is somebody that, that really is going to make some change. 
But when you look nationally, women make 81 cents now. We, we, we're at 79. We're two cents up. We're up to 81. But that's just white women. You know, I, I think it's so much worse for uh, women of color all, uh, down to in the 50s and 60s. So we really have, have to do better. And I think that it starts really at the top. And I know that there's some companies that have done studies and said, you know, we're going to look at all of our salaries. And we're going to figure this out and we're going to fix it. And they did. And then two years later, they did the same study and they realized unconscious bias, I think they called it. And it was unequal again. So they really, you know, it's just something that we have to do really yearly, you know, and women, you know, we need to ask for raises more. We don't do it as much. We have to value ourselves. Uh, men tend to oversell the women undervalue. So I, I think women can help themselves a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. In the face of all of these um, kind of seeming barriers or inequalities, what advice would you give to young girls of any age right now and maybe some personal lessons or wisdom that you would impart on them? Well, I think the first thing is you got to go for it. I mean, you got to figure out what you want and then you got to go for it. I think women have a tendency to sit back and wait to be asked. We expect that people are going to see what a great job we're doing. And you know what? Nobody cares as much about your career as you do. You have to be proactive. When a job opens, you have to apply, whether you think you have all the credentials or not. That's what men do. They, they don't worry about, oh, I don't have this or that, but you know maybe I have this. And they apply for the job. So we have to sell ourselves a little bit more. We have to learn how to network. We have to get people to help us. And, and then we just, you know, we have to present ourselves in the interview as someone who has the confidence to do the job because that's where men excel. They, they really oversell. They're very confident in the interview. And the employer often picks or confuses maybe confidence with competence. They, they get the job. They're not necessarily the most qualified. And they find out later that maybe they aren't the most qualified. But for women, I think we're very competent, but we don't sell ourselves quite as well. Well, thank you for that, Coach, and uh, that wraps up a lot of the questions that we we had planned asking you, but uh, is there anything else you would like to share, anything important that you think we, we didn't touch on or that you would like to, to speak to? No, just that I think that, you know, there's been a lot of pioneering women out there that we haven't learned about in history class. <laughs> you know, you, you find out years later, like the hidden figures um, I just saw today, the woman who invented the GPS, you know, never got any credit for it. Because we don't learn about them. We don't learn about black history. Uh, we, we, have, we have that month. You know, we, we each get a month of uh, this is what you're supposed to know. So I, I would love to see the curriculums change and, and the education change across the country so that we were more well informed about what, what women who have gone before us. Uh, you know, even in basketball and, and different sports, you know, the way we've had to really pull ourselves to where we are now. And your generation sees the finished product. You see what we have right now. You don't see the struggle that we had. And I hope that you continue to fight to to make it even better. And that's where it's, you know, we have things, we're certainly better off than we were 50 years ago, but we have nowhere near equality. So that's up to you guys. <laughs> I think we're up for the challenge. <laughs> uh, we've really enjoyed this partnership with you this fall semester and all of ND Athletics. Um, what do you think is next for ND Votes and ND Athletics coming out of an election year? Well, you know, this was a big election. This this was a very important one in, in our country's history, but it's not the only one. We, we have to look what's going to happen in two years, and that's where we need to get people now more interested in the in-between elections uh, when it's not just for president. But it is going to be another important election in 2024. We have to be a little more, more educated. I, I think we have to 
really be a little more aware of what's going on around us. Um, I think we all get in our bubble. Uh, you know, your students, you're, you're working, it's finals, then you get a first job, and, you know, you have all these things going on in your life. And I just think it's so important that you can take the time to really educate yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That is going to be a big push for ND Votes this upcoming spring to build on the momentum we gained uh, this semester with everyone voting and make sure everyone's really educated about what they voted for and maybe what they want to vote for in the future. Um, and part of that is pizza pod and politics. So thank you so much for being with us today. We really enjoyed it. Well, I missed the pizza, but uh, <laughs> the rest was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And who knows, too, you talked about, you know, the changing in the curriculum and now that you're teaching, maybe that's you know, maybe you'll be the one leading that change. Yes, you seem to always be. Uh, so just thank you again, Coach, for all the work you've done with us and uh, for always being the change that you've wanted to see and inspiring the change that we want to be. So thank you very much. You're welcome. I hope your successors do as good a job as you two have done. Thank you very much. Andy Votes would like to thank the Center for Social Concerns, the Rooney Center for American Democracy, the Constitutional Studies Minor, and Eddie Student Media for their support in production of this podcast. We'd also like to thank our wonderful guest, Coach Muffet McGraw, for being here today. As always, Andy Votes reminds you to register to vote and request your absentee ballot as soon as possible using the link on our website and or in our Instagram bio. Also, check out our other voter education resources on the website. Your vote matters. Get political.